people to share um, significant moments like this as a, as a church family. Let me lead us in prayer before I begin. Father, we invite you into this place. God, even as we celebrate life, the stages of life, as we celebrate the season that you have placed us in, uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would fill every one of these seasons, every one of these stages with your presence. Help us to, to uh, see you, reflect you, and proclaim you in every single thing that we do. And Lord God, I pray that even as I uh, open up the word, as we get into the life of Joseph, I pray that you would um, transform our lives from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, it's really good to have the kids in the service. Uh, they're going to be joining us from uh, December and January. And so how many kids have we got here? All right. Fantastic. How many kids at heart? All right. Fantastic. So um, the, the services over the next few weeks, they're going to be really aimed at trying to get all of us as a big household of faith engaged together with God's Word. As you know, we are going through the book of Genesis, and we are looking at the life of Joseph. It's the other Christmas Joseph. We hear a lot about Joseph um, who's married to Mary. And uh, this is Joseph who was at the end of the book of Genesis. And he's significant because he foretells the coming of Jesus Christ, who we are celebrating uh, this season. But let me take you a bit back in time. So it was the 1980s. It was the 1980s. And I was in my rebellious stage. The first of very many rebellious stages that would come. Rock music was on the rise. It was the 1980s. Oh, my goodness. Look at that guy's pants. All right. I should check my Google photos. Okay. Um, rock music was on the rise. And we had all, at growing up at church, I was, a, I was a kid who grew up in Sunday school. Uh, I remember graduating at church. And we had heard all kinds of things about this terrible rock music. And so I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to listen. I was not allowed to listen to secular music. I was maybe 12, 13 years old then. And back then they had these cassette tapes. Um, and, and somebody said that if you reversed some of this rock music, like if you played in reverse, you'd hear like satan satanic messages, like Satan wants to kill your grandmother or something like that. And so we would all like tear apart our tapes and it was a complicated process. You couldn't just download an app to reverse it. You had to like tear out your tape, flip the thing in reverse, and then wind it back again and play it to hear the hidden terrible message. But I wasn't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to do that. Um, so anyway, rock waves were hitting the Christian scene. And I had just joined the youth group. And I, I remember... So I know how daunting it is to be able to go in from kids' ministry right into youth group where all the potentially dangerous influence is out there, you know, in, in, in church youth groups. And some older 
youth person, one of Roger's friends actually, uh, passed me bootleg copies recorded from like radio or whatever, bootleg copies of Christian rock music, Christian rock music, and it was so frowned upon. It was so bad. In fact, I asked Paul um, today, did you listen to the Christian rock music when we were young? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Him and Elaine were like, we're, we were the good kids. We uh, listened to Don Moen and, and, and Hosanna, Integrity Music, and, and, and I was the rebel kid who listened to Christian rock music. I was, I was so used to listening to, I, I don't know if any of these names are familiar to you, but I had grown up listening to Sandy Patty, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, you know. And, but, but these new guys I got this tape from, they were hardcore. Anyway, we get to youth group, and so we're all listening to this music. We're not allowed to listen to it. And one of the leaders shares a message. And it's not even a pastor, one of the, one of the leaders, uh, one of Roger's friends. And because um, they were a lot older, a lot older than me uh, when I was growing up in youth group. And the message was based around a rock song by this Christian artist. What a scandal. Oh, it was like, because he couldn't say the name of the album. He couldn't say the name of the but, but we knew the whole message and everybody knew what he was talking about. And it was like a big scandal, you know, in our little church youth group. Anyway, and because at home, because it was talked about in the youth group at home, now I could openly play their music. I was like, yes. And it was just in time because the year was 1998 and Petra had just released their new album, On Fire. Anyway, that's how cool the design was back then. Uh, okay, so anyway... Since it was so formative in my life, and uh, I, I want to, uh, you know, share it with all of you. So I'm going to play a little clip uh, from a song that unlocked my inner rebel. But before I do that, I need to do a, a, a disclaimer. So get ready, kids, because this is rock music with its heavy, loud guitar riffs and a driving drum beats, uh, and not to mention the screaming <laughs> style of singing. Okay? And after you listen to this, you can go back to your listening to Baby Shark. Baby Shark. Doo -doo. Okay, are you ready? One minute of rock music. Here we go. Look at the guy's hands. rebellious years. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. 
Okay, I tell you, if you look out into the future, I don't, if that was the rebellious music of our youth, I don't, I don't know what the future has. Okay, um, but hey, let's get back um, uh, to this. I, I, I go back. Um, one of the reasons why I showed this is because, you know, we got kids in the service, and I, I remember how formative my 12-year-old, 13-year-old years were, and I remember how, um, how, how the things that were said back then have kind of stayed with me all through my life. And so I want to encourage you kids to not just um, let the youth group sessions and all these things just come past. These things that you get taught in Sunday school and in youth group, they could stay with you and be a great asset um, throughout your whole life. Anyway, the second reason why I did that song, besides like we've got a retro karaoke this afternoon, um, was this one line of the song has now stuck with me for three decades. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today. But let's get into the story of Joseph. So here we are. It's uh, chapter 40 in the book of Genesis. And Joseph is in prison. All right? He's been falsely accused. We covered that last week. And now he's in prison and he's given a job to look after some of the prisoners that are there. What you'll quickly notice about Joseph, even though he's been falsely accused, he's fallen very far from his favored son sort of life back at home, you quickly notice that Joseph still puts on Christ. He still keeps a good attitude uh, wherever he's placed. And so you get to verse 6, and two new prisoners show up on the scene. And Joseph is put in charge of them. And so it says in Genesis 40, 6 to 8, when Joseph came to these two prisoners in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. You really have to be paying attention if you're noticing a change in attitude in prisoners. Because you could just do it as a as a job that you don't care about. So he asked the Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams or tell them to me. Uh, so you've got the cupbearer and the baker are the two officers that are there. Now, Joseph didn't need to ask. He didn't really need to ask, how are these prisoners doing? It's not part of his job description. I'm pretty sure the officer who's put him in charge doesn't really care whether he's chit-chatting uh, with the prisoners or not. But something drives him to do so, even though the boss is not looking. Something compels him to take that extra step of care. And so he goes and he interprets the dream of the cupbearer and the baker. And he says to, well, one of them gets reinstated back to the king's service and the other guy dies. So he says to the guy whose dream tells him that he's going to be reinstated back into the king's service. And he makes only one very simple request. It says here in Genesis 40 verse 14. Only, you know, when, 
when it go only remember me when it is well with you that means when things go back to normal for you because your dream tells that you are God is telling you through this dream that you're going to go back to your position as the royal cup bearer so when you get the voice of the king when you're right next to Pharaoh when it goes well with you please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me and so to get me out of this house this prison his request was very natural, right? It was very moderate. Theologians believe it was a very moderate request. It was not uh, for money. It was not, uh, it w he wasn't uh, holding him hostage. I will interpret your dreams, but you've got to give me this, this, this. It was a very moderate request. Just remember me. It was also very touching because he goes on and he shares in the next verse, in verse 15, how he got to prison, falsely accused and betrayed by his brothers. And lastly, with this request, it was kind of like a just request, right? He, he, he didn't really deserve to be in that prison. So he's kind of just asking for justice to be done. Anyway, you fast forward to verse 23. So this is Genesis 40, verse 23. And everything in the dream comes true. The baker dies, the cupbearer goes to work back for Pharaoh. And it says in the end of the chapter, that's why it's so significant. Genesis 40 verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. In Hebrew, where word order doesn't um, matter for understanding, it matters for importance, that sentence begins with, did not remember first the chief cupbearer, Joseph. And then it ends with, but forgot him. And so you get that emphasis on this guy was only asked one small favor and he didn't do it. Today, uh, I'm going to be talking about God-pleaser versus man-pleaser. Oh yeah, play it again. The whole, song, the whole, whole service is playing the Petra song on loop. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about being a God-pleaser versus being a man-pleaser. Have you ever helped out, volunteered, served someone and have gotten no thanks? No recognition. I, I, I think if we consider all the times we help other people out, um, I, I doubt that our stakes were ever as high as Joseph's stakes. Because being forgotten meant he was going to die in prison. I don't think being forgotten in our lives anyway has ever hurt quite that much with that uncertainty of knowing that your chance to get out of jail has just blown past. But surely, surely all of us here, even, even the kids, you can remember what it feels like to do something and then have man, have people forget what you did. 
So maybe you're a kid and you're like, you're so helpful. You're so helpful. I, I remember this. So helpful making my own breakfast so that my mom and dad didn't have to make it. And then when they wake up, all they see is the mess that I made. But I'm like helping them by making breakfast. Like, don't help me. Or, or when you're trying to help out with your siblings and you do something nice or you forgive them because of some mean thing that they did for you, but mom and dad, they never see that. They never see it and they, they blame you for other things along the way. It is so possible, it's entirely possible for you to be doing stuff for other people to see. They see it and then they completely forget it. Without a reward, without a thank you, they don't even remember. Now there are many reasons, there are many reasons why people will forget you. Forget the things that you have done. Forget the help that you have provided them. Many, many reasons. They could be terrible people, right? They could be very busy with lots of things to do. But I'm going to focus on just one. In the time that we have, I'm going to highlight one just as an aside as before we get into to the main point. Because I want to manage very carefully the people-pleasing and the God-pleasing side. One reason why people forget to say thank you, I think, is expectations. And I'm hoping, I put this aside in there because I'm hoping to help you at home. I'm hoping that, that it will make a difference. Today's session will make a difference in your marriages, in your, um, in your parenting of your children, maybe even in your workplace. Because you may not see it from the text, but after having been in ministry for almost 15 years, I see this in the text of Joseph's story. You see, when somebody does something that they are expected to do, you really don't think to thank or to reward them, right? It's just their job. So when you order food, there's kind of an expectation that the food is going to come as, as you've ordered. It also happens then at home with our husbands and our wives and with parents and with kids. That because you're my wife, you're expected to do certain things. Because you're my husband, you're expected to do certain things. Because your kids in this home, you're expected to do certain things. So when they're done, you just go, well, they're supposed to do that anyway. And we roll on in life. And then we notice, we only notice when people fail to meet that expectation. Or we notice on the occasion that they exceed the expectation. But you know what I've discovered having been married now 20 years, raising children, and, and aiming for the exceed expectation mark. That if you exceed expectations for long enough, the expectation changes. Oh yeah, <laughs> the expectation. Now, whatever it is that was exceeded the expectation is the expectation. And so, okay, fine. That's just normal. Because we now know that expectations are rising in our society. We now get a view of how other people live their lives, right? We see what they're all doing. We, we hear um, the, the pace of life is going faster. And so it, it is a, 
especially in our community, it's known that husbands are helping out more than ever, than any other generation, husbands are helping out more in the home. Like, awesome husbands. Woo! <laughs> but wives, wives are also contributing more to income. They're, they're taking more of a load in parenting simultaneously. And so expectations of women in homes, which is all fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is a great trajectory that we're heading to. This is fantastic. But the norm is shifting. Kids are expected to get good grades, but the environment to get the good grades, the competition, is actually getting harder. Our schools are bigger. The country is bigger. And so that top 1% is actually harder, harder to get. And so if you take an expectations approach to marriage or parenting, then really, you're going to miss out on saying thank you, on remembering, on being appreciative in a whole range of things that happen inside your home, inside your church, inside your workplace that you could be stopping to say, hey, I know you're expected to do that, but thank you. Thank you for serving me the food that I ordered that I expect to get the same thing, but hey, thank you. Um, I think it needs to be said that uh, it needs to be said that all of us at some level need to be reminded of the importance of other people who help us out and, and who serve. So I see this in the passage because the cupbearer he hears from a man of God. He says, "Oh." Aren't these things like from God? Aren't you a, a, a God person? And he goes, so the cupbearer, he hears from a man of God as expected. And then promptly, because the guy's a man of God, gave him a prophecy, it comes true. Sure, all things good. Then as expected, forgets him until the next time it comes up. Um, so don't forget to rem Don't forget. Remember to appreciate. So I want to take a moment and I want to say thank you to all the wives, the husbands, to the kids, to the volunteers, to the leaders, to the many, many people here in this church who serve um, selflessly uh, through this year. Because it is so crucial what you do. What we do with our heart attitude, with our energy and our resources goes to reflect actually Christ um, and his attitude. But now, let's get back to the main point, which is, sure, we have to remember to give thanks. Sure, we have to remember to be grateful for all the help that we're getting in life. But are we going to live our life as God pleases or as man pleases? Human rewards are so fickle. I mean, I reckon... 50% of everybody here will forget today's instruction to be thankful by the time we're halfway through next year. It's, it's so natural for humans to take things for granted. It's so natural for humans to forget things. Um, and so to live your life seeking after the approval of others or their thanks or their gratitude is a sure way 
to miss the mark. It's a sure way to get disappointed. In fact, um, Joseph, you'll see in this passage, he doesn't do what he does for man's approval at all. Um, let's look at three passages of Scripture where the New Testament encourages us to not look to man, to follow after Joseph, follow after Jesus. In Ephesians 6, 5-8, to it says, Bond servants or people, workers, people who are working, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere, just a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service. So that word eye service, kids, means that you're only doing things when people are looking. That's what it means, right? So, oh, I'm, I'm only going to tidy up my room, you know, when mom's around, or I'm only going to do this, and then when, when nobody is looking, you're going to default back to the, the whatever you were doing before. So, uh, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, but, uh, or as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ himself, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive it back from the Lord, whether or not he's a bondservant or free. The thing to, to remember in this passage is, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That means you really, 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 deep inside of you, want to do this for God. In uh, Galatians 1 verse 10, it says this, uh, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Because if I was trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Christ or Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. You know, back in my early years, I would still remember something shifting inside of me when I heard these words. Our youth leader was not even a pastor. And he wasn't even quoting, he was, he was, like he wasn't even a pastor, he was quoting off a rock song that was quoting off of scripture. And he would say these words that I would still remember today. That's why I think our youth group, getting your kids into a youth group, giving them an opportunity to hear from people who can influence them for God is such, it's, it's gold. But I can still remember those words. And I still remember him saying, there are two types of people. There are two types of people. There are people who worry about what other people think. They worry about what other people think. Will they think that I'm wearing cool clothes? Will they think that I'm daggy? Will they think that I'm a cool? Will they, will they be embarrassed to be with me? Right? What do other people think? And then there are people who worry about what God thinks. What God thinks. Kids, do you wonder what mom and dad would say? 
You know, like when, you, when, when, you, when you're off and you're doing your own thing, do you think, oh my goodness, I better not do this. What would mom and dad say? Or do you, when you run off and you're doing things, go, oh, I wonder what God would say. I wonder what God would say if I was to go and talk to that person over there who has no friends. And my mom and dad may never know that I'm going to go over there and help that guy out. But God is seeing this. And you go, I wonder what God would say if I brought uh, a Christmas present for somebody who never gets any presents this Christmas. I wonder what God would say if I go out of my way to help somebody out and mom and dad never, ever even know about it. But God would know about it. That's what somebody who worries about what God thinks does. Or adults. Do you say to yourself, I wonder if I can get away with it. Can I get away with this? You know, for adults, the, there's, there's the, uh, the deep thinking questions like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Right? The deep philosophical questions of life. Uh, because, you know, sound is the sensation that uh, you get when your ear is excited, when air is set in motion. So really, there can only be sound if there is somebody to hear it. Otherwise, you just get waves. So you're thinking, oh, maybe if no one is around to see stuff happen, maybe it's not even significant. This underpins a lot of the big popular fallacies that are around today. No one, no one's going to get hurt. What I'm doing doesn't hurt anyone. It's okay, it's just me. It's only me and what I do. I won't tell anyone if you don't tell anyone. A lot of big popular fallacies that are sitting around our conversations today stem from the fact that broadly we are man-pleasers and that we forget God-pleasing. So, can you really have a holiday if you didn't take an Instagram photo? Did you really eat good food if you didn't pause for the photograph? I don't know. There, I read an article, actually, that, that, that restaurateurs are, are getting really upset because there's this rising trend of food getting cold. Because everybody's going to take photos of their food before they eat it. You know, because more important now than the actual experience itself is the memory of the experience. Is, the, is how much you can put on so that other people can see what it is that you're doing. And I kid you not, because this has become a very real phenomenon in a lot of our relationship counseling. You will, I kid you not, you will see many, many couples who will post up happy photos and we know privately it's not happy. And we, I think all of us as a society that is obsessed with people pleasing and, and social networking and, and, and views and likes, as a society, 
we all need to think twice about whether we're worrying about what people think or whether we're worrying about what God thinks. So, just as I close, I want to ask this question, which is the question that Joseph grapples with. Who are you dressing for? Who are you dressing for? Joseph conducted himself in a way because he was always dressing for God. Joseph conducted himself in a way where even though his boss was not looking, he would care for the prisoners that were under his charge. And he would say, hey, how, how, how are you doing? You look really downcast today. Joseph would go about his business and please God and God found favor in that. And if you fast forward to the end, while the cupbearer forgets him for ages, God ultimately does not forget him. God does not forget him. And I want to put it to you that God is a much more faithful rewarder than people. Than people. So you are way better off. Way better off running your life, picking the clothes that you wear to reflect Christ. Who are you dressing for? Um, the whole series is about putting on Christ so that when God looks at you, He sees His Son, whom He loves so much. I want to close by reading this verse, Romans 13, 14. And it says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This Christmas, kids, adults, I, I, I hope that as we do our planning for the parties and, and the things that we're about to do, all of our, our holiday uh, activities, I hope that we would have God as the audience going, hey, I hope God's really honored by my Christmas celebrations, by the, when I go out with all my friends everywhere. I hope God's really honored by the things I do in private. I hope God is really honored by the things I do in public because I want to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. Let's uh, not close in a song. Let me pray and close in prayer. <laughs> Father, I, I pray for every single person here. Lord, as a church, Lord, we, we come honestly before you. Uh, we're just regular people, Lord God, and I, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, that this holiday season, that we would be God-pleasers in all that we do, that we, would not, that we would not primarily have our eyes fixed on what would other people think, what would my mom and dad think, How, what, a, what would my boss see, but rather what would you see. I pray for every person here, every kid, every youth, every young adult, every adult here in this place that we would this season be so conscious, so conscious of your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're going to keep our services pretty tight over this December. We've got the kids in the, uh, in the congregation. But feel free to grab some food. If you would like to stay back for some prayer, we'd, I'd love to stay back here and pray for you. Uh, but we'll see you next week. We have our youth pastors speaking uh, on the series. Take care.